Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by Friendship and Teamwork. Do you believe in friendship and teamwork, Ray? I do. So do I. A lot. I don't see it in San Francisco, but I believe in it. (laughs) And if you out there believe in friendship and teamwork, then join us in delivering some to the Golden State Warriors, the heart of what has made this team successful year in and year out is friendship and teamwork. And I think now, as we enter the holidays, the spirit of thanks, the spirit of Christmas, now is a great time to remind the Warriors about friendship and teamwork. And that is the sponsor of today's episode. Now, Raymond, before we get started, why don't you let them know, where can they find us? You can like us at facebook.com slash the goldcast. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of the goldcast. Like, subscribe, and comment because we like to hear from you, and we certainly do our best to respond. So do the right thing. And make sure to click the little bell. If you do it on YouTube, click the little bell. Uh, this is a very common thing that all users do nowadays is remind people click the little bell if you want notifications when we go live because otherwise youtube does not have a good um in-house there the the algorithm system inside of youtube it doesn't do a good job of notifying users when their subscription users go live so that little notification bell supposedly alleviates that so if you go that route make sure to remember that boom there it is so We have a lot to unpack today, and today our lead story, before we get into our Niner recap, there's a lot to unpack in that Niner game, and I think think a lot has become very obvious as far as what's wrong with the 49ers, in particular with that defense. But first up, we are going to talk about the Golden State Warrior drama, the drama, Uh, because it's a little disheartening. And really scary. And I have, uh, in terms of if you're a fan, and I have some points I want to talk about. There's some things I want to talk about it with. Of course, my esteemed brother, we are going to discuss that. And then we're going to get into the 49ers and the Giants. A lot to unpack today on this uh, scary edition of the Goldcast. But of course, before we get started, as always, the Goldcast intro. Let's get busy. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Suisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Salisa First, baby. Boom! Get in where you fit in. Here we go, Goldcast Edition 2018, only two more months or a month and a half left before we enter the new year. Lots of things coming to an end, and the one that feels like it may be coming to an end is the strange, to me, shocking, out of nowhere, crazy drama we had on Tuesday. We were originally were going to, originally we were planning on recording, and then all of this went down and it actually made sense to not record, to wait for a day to get all this information about the Warriors because this was pretty wild. I'm sure you guys have heard it a million times. We had a situation in overtime against the Clippers. Draymond Green has the ball, taking it down the court, 
He doesn't give it to KD. They end up losing the game. KD is very upset afterwards. This leads to a huge argument. Draymond Green reportedly, this is all, you know, via everything we've read, reportedly called KD several times a bitch and then also called him out for the free agency and not making it, uh, not toning the story down, kind of called him out on the free agency problem. Then you get some other reports, uh, an anonymous warrior saying that uh, he, he believes that the that KD is for sure not resigning in the summer, and then saying that the team was a little bit split, that some had no issue with what was going on with all the outside chatter. Others believe said that they he said that this anonymous warrior said that other warriors do have an issue with the impending free agency of KD. Clay Thompson came out and said, as soon as we start winning. This will, I'm paraphrasing, this will all go away like a ponytail. I don't know what the hell that means, but once again, that is just a brilliant thing. Clay's the best. So you can never, I don't think anyone in the world is ever mad at Clay. He's really good at not pissing anybody off. And so now we have this situation, Ray, that to me kind of stopped me in my tracks. You have a team that's 12 and 3. You have Steph looking like vintage. 2015 Steph, 2016 Steph. You have a Warriors team that came out the gate red hot, has only lost three games, has been on fire. A team that looks motivated, that to me is gelling in a way that we did not see last year. I think we expected them to come out of the gate looking like this last year. They didn't. They kind of admittedly stumbled out. And here they come in, guns blazing. And then we get this just heart-stopping, derailing situation between Draymond and KD. And it it shocks me. It saddens me. And I am reminded again, and I mentioned this, if you go all the way back, and uh, we'll put it on YouTube if you're on YouTube so you can uh, revisit the episode. I'm going to put it on right here. But I compared originally compared the signing of KD, the last free agent we sign that was that big in San Francisco was Deion Sanders in the 90s. And Deion Sanders propelled the Steve Young-led 49ers to our fifth and at this point final Super Bowl win uh, in the dynasty era. We haven't won one since. But Deion, many believe that Deion was the difference maker. The following year, he left and signed with the Cowboys, which helped swing that pendulum back in that direction, and the Cowboys won a third and four years, the third Super Bowl in four years. And I mentioned before that this felt like it. For me, because KD is so big and he is like a Dion, there's a part of me that because I associate it with that era, I have always felt like KD is a rental, that we just can't have something that nice forever. But I want to hear your thoughts on it. What do you think about everything that's gone down? This is, yeah, I just want to hear your thoughts. Go for it. You got the mic. Well, it was a little surprising. And I feel like Durant, like the saying goes, winners always want the ball. And Durant, decidedly so, is clapping his hands like, hey, pass me the ball, pass me the ball. And some people might take exception to that. I've heard fans online talking about, taking exception to somebody clapping the ball. You know, I've, I've seen that that happens in every single basketball game all the time. 
people, you know, someone claps to the ball to just get their teammates' attention. You know, you have crap. The in entire you have tens of thousands of people, you know, making noise, and it's it can be sometimes hard to hear anything. So making a, a a sharp clapping sound to alert your teammate that you want the ball is something that happens on a regular basis in terms of getting the attention of your teammates. So that I didn't really have a problem with, yeah, even though some people did. I think some people are just, if you're watching from home, then you have a completely different perspective, you know, auditorily, visually, so, and of course, psychologically. But what was said, it really sounded like, to me, Draymond was way out of line. He, he made it personal. You know, Boogie Cousins is trying to, of all people, is trying to mediate and be the peacemaker and pull Jamon to the side saying, hey, you need to calm down. This isn't right. And, you know, Jamon's going on and on. He's a bitch. He's a bitch. You know, at that point, he's so mad that now he's just making it personal because he's mad. And perhaps, you know, revealed something about his own resentment that had clearly been stewing and reached a boiling point when – Durant got frustrated at the fact that he didn't get the ball and wanted the ball at the very end because he wants he's a he's one of the best shooters in the game he's the arguably the best player in the entire association next to people like you know LeBron and Curry so why wouldn't you put the ball in his hands and give him a shot at the final shot you know Draymond didn't have a good look he tried to dribble through like three or four Clippers you know, what were you going to do there? And all he ended up doing was fumbling the ball and, and losing the game when you could have given it to Durant. And Durant could take, could have taken a, a huge – because Durant's range is so insane. He could have taken it. Thompson could have taken a shot too. Uh, he's got more range than, than Green. So, I mean, and Kevin Durant finished with a triple-double, 33 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. Uh, Thompson also had 31 points that night too. So – you know, you clearly your scorers were contributing. You just didn't get enough defensive stops. And when the game counted the most, you put the ball in someone's hands who doesn't typically make that shot. So what, I'm not sure what he was thinking, strategically speaking. But what, in terms of what was, and you know, going back to what was said, I feel like Draymond was 100% out of line. You know, you don't make it personal and start talking about, you know, your free agency or impending free agency and what's going to happen. That shit needs to be left at home. And I don't necessarily know if Durant's made a huge deal making the free agency thing a, a big deal. I think the press is the one who really kind of antagonizes that whole story because it's their job. And, you know, the more annoying it is to us fans and to the players, then I guess the, you know, the press is doing is trying to do their job. And I personally don't like it. I think it's annoying. I think it's uh, it's kind of rude when a player is trying to really focus on the season and trying to win a championship, and every single game someone you know brings it up, or or every other press conference somebody brings it up. That to me is stupid. But to make the comment about being a bitch and your impending your potential free agency, your free agency in the offseason, what's going to happen with that? Whether he's going to stay a warrior. Here's the thing: if he was going to be a warrior, he would have just said, "Hey, I'm signing with the team next year. And that's a done deal." Then it would have just been the end of it, right? But the fact that he doesn't do that obviously alludes to the fact that he's not completely all in, even though that's kind of what he said when he first came here. I mean, he spent 10 years in OKC, and now as things have gone on with the Warriors, he's been talking about, I've never gotten a max contract before. You know, that seems to be kind of a a passive way of saying, you know, I'd like that money. And to be honest, last year when he won the second championship and got – the second NBA, NBA Finals MVP second time in a row, the owners clearly said, give KD whatever he wants. 
you know. So I'm not sure what offer was made, you know, that didn't necessarily come to fruition. But, you know, apparently it ended up being two-year deals, $30 million player option at the end of the season. So, you know, but the media is going to, you know, be all over this uh, like they should rather annoyingly. So, but I think what comes down to when you break it down, I think Clay Thompson has the right frame of mind because that's, I, that's the temperament I tend to have me personally. So I, when, when I hear Clay Thompson say what he says, which is like, Hey, they're grown men. They're, they're going to brush it off. You know, we just need to string some wins together and then it's going to, you know, it's going to be like a ponytail in the back of your head. Uh, so then, then yeah, that's what needs to happen. And I think that's what's going to eventually happen. Uh, you know, they landed in Houston today. They landed, you know, hours ago. So, there's a good chance perhaps they go out and hash it out then, you know, and they need to. So, and Durant obviously pays way too much attention to social media, reacts way too much to people and cares way too much about what people think of him. And he's, he obviously has, he's a little bit more on the thin skin side, but if, if KD, if there was any chance of KD coming back next season, I think this particular rift certainly puts that in heavy question. And anything can change between now and June. That's a lot of basketball. That's a lot of emotion, roller, roller coaster of emotions that's going to transpire between now and then. So anything can happen. But as it stands right now, if the season were to end now, KD would probably leave. You know, that's what I think. I mean, I'm not sure what you think as far as that part of the story goes, because that's where the story is going to end up when, when it gets revisited back in June <clears throat> or, or later on in June. I agree. I agree that if the season were end today, I think KD wouldn't resign. I also think, uh, I also think that Draymond was really out of line. And you know, we've heard before from I've heard interviews with with Curry talking about how Draymond is highly competitive. That like even in practice, I mean, he treats those guys exactly like he would treat the opponent, talking smack, getting super physical. You know, getting trying to get in their heads, doing all the Draymond Green things that he's known for that make him such a competitive and difficult player to compete against. He does that to his own team, and it, you know, we this is this has been um, recorded. You know, this has been documented. It's his best and worst attribute. It is absolutely it is, and so. I totally get it, but at the same time, there's a time and place for all of that. There's a time and place for when all of that is acceptable, and the pro- that's one of his greatest attributes, and one of his worst attributes is that he he gets into this red zone, and he sees nothing but red, and unfortunately, it's pointed at whoever's in front of him, regardless of the uniform, and this time around, it was pointed at the most important player on the team but behind Steph Curry. You know, the second best player in the world, the guy who tipped the scales and really basically ended any possible doubt that the Warriors were going to be capable of winning several more championships. It ended the day that KD signed. So I think he was out of line. I think the suspension was justified. And let me let me flip this. Let me flip this to another direction here. I'm going to I'm going to touch on something that. I don't really hear many people mention, I think I've mentioned this briefly before on the Goldcast, but here's what really pisses me off about the entire KD situation, just in general, is that if LA or Boston had drafted these exact players, if LA had Steph, Clay, Dre, they had just beaten, Le- uh, just beaten LeBron, lost to LeBron, 
coming back for trying to make a third run, and KD signed in in LA. If this if this exact team, the 2015 team, was there in Los Angeles, and they were the Lakers instead of the Warriors, and KD signed to them, everyone would be talking about the star power of the Lakers, the just their ability to, to stay virtually invincible. They would talk about the allure of Los Angeles. They would talk about the history and all of the great players that have worn these uniforms. And that's what they would talk about. They would simply talk about the dominance of the Los Angeles Lakers and their, in, their ability to constantly stay relevant and on top as one of the premier franchises. If Boston Celtics had done this, they'd be talking about the legacy of Boston they would talk about if Boston had all this, these players, all the exact Warriors t- players were in the green and yellow, right? They're over there. And they would talk about the dominance of the Celtics. They would talk about the ability to say sustain this franchise over so many decades. They would talk about the legacy of Boston as a championship city, title town, USA. These are the things that they'd be talking about. But ever since KD has signed to Golden State, all we've heard about is how lopsided it is, how unfair it is, how boring the league has become, how how uh, how top heavy this is, and what really drives me nuts, Ray. What really boils my blood is that I feel like L.A. and Boston they can do this all the time on any of their teams. They're allowed to do this. But God forbid some tiny little team with a 40-year lackluster history does the same thing. God forbid that a Bay Area team from what was considered for a long time to be a major, like on the fringes of a major market. The Giants were on the fringes of a major market before 2010. Uh, the only t- team that wasn't considered that was the 49ers because of just how insanely much money they make for the NFL. But the Warriors, God forbid the Warriors do what the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers have been doing forever, which is creating the best team and then p- signing the best free agents. The Lakers have done that forever. Boston's done that forever. Cultivating incredible players to the draft and then using them as pieces to sign huge players. God forbid the Warriors do the same thing and play the same game. Now it's lopsided, top, top heavy. You know, I heard this stated about LeBron, and I thought this was really fair. Bill Simmons said this, and I thought this was the most honest argument I had heard. He talked about when they first signed, when the Lakers first signed LeBron, he said, the Warriors actually did everything right. They built a team through the draft. They built this team up. They won a championship. And then they were able to sign the best player available, and he went to the best team available at the time. And they did everything right. They built this team through the draft. Not even number one picks. They didn't even tank to get there. So then the Lakers, for the past six years, have been one of the most inept organizations out there. Have literally done nothing to earn anything. They've been, they've been, the coaching has been fine, but the, the drafting's been horrible. They've literally struck out on every single free agent. They had a stink on them. No one wanted anything to do with them. And then they signed LeBron by virtue that... Uh, they make movies out there. They've literally done everything possibly wrong, and no one's mad. It's the allure of the wine and gold. And it just it just frustrates me because I think a big part of this, I'm tying this all back, a big part of why KD 
even feels the need like he should leave is due to this exact fact, is due to the fact that he gets so much shit for making a decision that to me makes total sense. Why wouldn't the best player available want to be with the best team available? Why is that wrong? Literally, LA and Boston have been doing this the entire time. 16 titles in one town, 17 in the other. You think they got that through the draft? Give me a break. And it just so it just boils my blood because I really think that so much of what fuels KD in feeling like maybe he does need to go somewhere else is this narrative. And I think the media hasn't let it die because, oh, the media wants to tear this team apart so badly, so badly they want to see this come down. And they're just as, it's the hypocrisy of that. It's the hypocrisy between how other franchises, in particular those two franchises, are treated versus a city or a team like Golden State like the Bay Area, that's what boils my blood. And if you're listening to this gold cast, I hope it boils your blood too, because this pisses me off. All right, Ray, your turn. Well, I think, you know, the Lakers are considered like the Yankees of the NBA, and the Celtics are like the Red Sox of the NBA. So it's no surprise, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the, if that was the narrative you know, if those teams were relevant, well, Celtics are relevant right now, but I mean, if they, if something similar, if the similar path of success had been garnered by the Lakers, then yeah, that would totally be, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the narrative. Obviously no way to know for sure, but you know, I, I can see that. I can totally see that happening with the Lakers. I can totally see that, that being the case with the Yankees, but I digress. As far as that's concerned, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that's that's a you know pretty good guess as to how things would you know pan out from the press that way. But I, but yeah, I do feel like you know there is there is a sense of jealousy, and part of it is because the Warriors came out of nowhere and they just managed to draft three of the top ten players in the association. So, and that's a pretty rare occurrence to draft three of them, let alone, you know, two multi-all-stars. And, you know, there's a good chance all three of these guys, Draymond, Clay Thompson, and Seth Curry, go to the Hall of Fame. You know, Curry's got two MVPs, three titles, you know, six all-star appearances. There's, he's most likely going to go. I mean, we can probably say that with confidence. Clay Thompson's, you know, got multiple titles as well. You know, it's the same thing. So Draymond Green, Defensive Player of the Year. But, you know, I don't know. I feel like it just I just keep getting back to, like, where is this going to go in June? You know, like, I don't, I don't really want to put a whole lot of emphasis on this, but I feel like that's where the conversations are right now. So, you know, something that will just – it's just going to be a guessing game from here, from here on out anybody's guess you know it's it's a 50 50 shot you know he's either going to stay or he's going to go you know and if if he goes people are going to look back to this particular part of the season and they're going to reference it as a result if he leaves and that's going to be on draymond i mean draymond a lot of people have argued that draymond is the one who cost us the championship in the the 70 73 win nine season because he couldn't keep his emotions in check and accrued too many technicals and got eject, got suspended for a game. And you know, some people levy levy some of that, some of that at LeBron for you know, uh, 
bolstering the drama enough, making up a, a big enough bitch about it. <laughs> he was a bitch in that in that case, and raising a stink and getting Draymond suspended. But fact remains, if Draymond had kept his emotions in check when he should have, he wouldn't have even been in that position. Might have gotten a T in that in that situation, but certainly wouldn't have got suspended. You know, and you can obviously argue that hey, the the, the Warriors had chances even when Draymond after that one game because Draymond came back afterwards and they could have won it then, but they didn't. But you know, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds of what it could have showed us, but that that's just something that's going to be added to the resume of Draymond can't control himself, and these are the moments when the th- that lack of discipline really created a really had a negative impact that was truly detrimental to the team and in, 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 the, in the true sense of the definition. So I guess we're kind of going to have to just wait and see. I think they're going to obviously make it up. Jamal's going to play in the next game against the Houston Rockets. So he's obviously going to need him for that. So I'm curious to see how that's going to go down. I think, yes, uh, I think without a doubt, they're going to patch it up. I think what really sucks is the media is going to hold this over their heads for the entire year. You can bank on that. Oh, they're going to milk it. They're going to milk it for everything it's worth because, the, you know, they got to get the clicks. Got to get your clicks. Yeah, got to get your clicks. Exactly. I hope they could squash it. I really hope KD signs next year. I really, I really do. I think they have an opportunity to do something that is virtually insane winning four in a row going four out of five really getting into like bulls territory boston 70s territory and really doing something special i'd love to see it i know the world wouldn't but i don't give a damn what the world thinks i'm from san francisco so moving on yes so moving on giants at niners garbage bowl three of our garbage bowls the giants at the Niners, final score 27-23 in favor of the Giants. And once again, Raymond, we have a really familiar narrative. Stop me if you've heard this before. Kyle Shanahan, with a ragtag offensive squadron, once again puts the 49ers in the lead in the fourth quarter with not with precious minutes left. The defense for the 49ers is on the field. And once again, a quarterback with a, a star quarterback or a successful quarterback, a checkered successful quarterback, and several of his key wide receivers march down the field and take the lead with seconds to go, thus crippling our ability to come back. And the Niners lose within three to four points in heartbreaking fashion. Stop me if you've heard that story before. I feel like there's seven to 10 games that that applies to. And I think we are now at a position where we really need to take a cold, hard look at what is happening on the defensive side with the 49ers. We have our third string quarterback out there for crying out loud. I mean, the injuries upon injuries, Every single week, no matter who Kyle Shanahan puts out there, that offense is ready to go. But the defense has a lot of young talent too. They have also had their fair share of injuries, fair. But it doesn't, I don't know, it looks to me like the scheming is not taking full advantage of what they have. I want to hear your thoughts. What do you think 
about all of that? Well, I think it's reached a point where, you know, I gave a lot of excuses to Robert Sala because he doesn't have a whole lot of talent to work with. And that's still, that's still an accurate assessment. He doesn't have a lot of talent to work with, but there are certain things that happened in this game that really made me kind of take a, a step back even further from the defending side of Robert Sala and just kind of question what the hell is he thinking? You have the best receiver in the game, one of the the second best receiver in the game in Odell Beckham Jr., who plays for the Giants. You know that 80% of the looks, because New York is very depleted, and I know they got Shepard and, and, and Ebron, but, or I'm sorry, what is uh, their tight end's name is actually not, it's Evan Ingram, sorry, Evan Ingram, but... Um, but these are not Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham is going to get the lion's share of Ebron. Ebron's the guy you picked up on fantasy that you love. Yes, he's he's actually having a really good season too. But but Evan Ingram is you know a serviceable tight end who's who gets who gets looks. Saquon Barkley is obviously a dual threat running back, but he's going to be split between carrying the ball and the Niners actually played him really good. They played him really good, but. He was only held to 67 yard, 67 yards on 20 carries at a 3.4 average. There was a lot of TFLs against Saquon Barkley, so I was really happy about the run. The running defense to the Niners is actually really good. It's it's middle of the road. It's not elite, but it's 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 good enough to stop some very talented backs. And you know we're we're slowly getting into better territory statistically with that. You know Tampa Bay is kind of middle of the road. We're actually a few spots better than them inching our way towards top 10. So that'd be nice if we can achieve that, you know, in terms of, of, of yards allowed, we're, we're a top 10 defense. So it's not like it's all doom and gloom with Robert Sala. So we're about middle of the road points wise. We're obviously in the latter bunch of the NFL, the latter five, the worst among the worst top five, worst five in the league in terms of points allowed, but we're 10th in yards allowed 14th against the pass and 13th against the rush. So middle of the road is, is, not a terrible place to be, but I just don't know if long-term Sala is the answer because when you have a player like Odell Beckham Jr. there, you have to be thinking, at least from where we're sitting, we're thinking, okay, the best receiver on the field needs to be covered by the best corner on our team who is, without a doubt, Richard Sherman. So, But half the time, he was not being covered by him. Half the time, I was seeing him get covered by Akella Witherspoon who didn't do anything to deter Odell Beckham Jr. from his four reception, 73 yard, two touchdown, 11 target performance, 11 targets. That's six more targets than the next player on the team for this game, which was Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley was, it was both, were both tied with five targets each. But other than that, Odell Beckham, 11 targets he was clearly the focus so once there are a couple things that didn't go right obviously we once again did not have a pass rush are these guys in the right spot when akella witherspoon is our our again young kid playing against odell beckham jr you know that's a mismatch eli manny knows it's a mismatch eli manny's going to go for that 10 times out of 10 so at the very least you need to bring double coverage into that situation and there was a lot of times when there wasn't that when that wasn't happening there was times when Akella, the, the the touchdown the touchdown over the shoulder touchdown Kel Witherspoon got really mad justifiably so because he didn't get safety help in time and that's obviously on the safety but at the same time you also got to do your job and cover your man so it was a failure on two parts failure with 
Witherspoon not being able to cover OBJ on that route, just a, just a straight-up post route, and then the free safety's fault for not coming over the top and providing double coverage because you know that that's going to happen. So, But even in that case, why would you not have Sherman covering him? So I'm very curious to learn what Sal, because I know Salah has a press conference every week. I believe it comes out today or tomorrow. But I want to look at those notes to hear what he had to say. What what was his explanation for some of the scheme choices here? Why is Cassius Marsh trying to guard Saquon Barkley in pass coverage? Cassius Marsh, for the most part, since he's been with the team, and this is why he got cut from New England, is not good in pass coverage. That's not his skill set. His skill set is rushing the passer. That's what he's good at. He's a specialist. You have him do that. He's really good at that. So just keep him doing that. Have him do that. And then he can do his little martial arts celebrations all day long. But he's not going to be doing any of that against someone like Saquon Barkley, who is far superior athletically. He's got more speed. He's got more agility. He's got more athleticism. He he can cut better. You need, you need to get the guy that you actually drafted that's actually more capable of doing that. And I'm referring to Fred Warner. Fred Warner has got better speed than Marsh. He's got more agility than Marsh. He's the one that needs to be in the in that situation, covering someone like that, covering the halfback. So only one sack all day. It was Dakota Watson, DeForest Buckner. They each shared a sack. And DeForest Buckner is going to most likely go to the Pro Bowl if he keeps it up. And, you know, again, I thought the running game was good. Eric Armstead had a TFL tackle for loss. Richard Sherman had two TFLs. Malcolm Smith had a TFL early in the game. Kawan Williams had a great TFL blitzing from the outside. I thought that was all fantastic. But, again, the passing game is terrible because there's a a lack of pressure and there's a lack of talent on the coverage side. But if that's the case, then you need to offset as best as you can in a situation when you're facing someone like an OBJ and have somebody like Richard Sherman, if he's available, covering that player. And why he wasn't for most of the game just didn't make sense to me, schematically speaking. And I don't understand defenses enough to do that, but I happen to know, I'd be willing to bet that if it was Vic Fangio or or what's his name, the, uh, the Rams, Wade Phillips, that Sherman would have been on him the entire game. If not, there would have been double coverage, double coverage from the get-go. So sometimes I think Solomon or Robert Sala is in over his head with 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 what he believes these guys can do. Because if that was the case, they'd play a lot better. And I know statistically they're actually, you know, they seem to be making improvements in certain areas. But this is not they they're not making improvements statistically. It it, it looks better than it actually is. But the truth of the matter is, if if the game's on the line with one possession and the opposing team has the ball in the fourth quarter, you can pretty much guarantee an eighty percent chance of losing that game, unless we've got a you know a, a two possession score lead. Then it then it then it's okay. We can get away with it. But when the game is close and tight, and you're going to put the fate of the game into the hands of the defense, then then yeah, lots of luck. That's because that's not happening. So I think if this continues, I don't know what his what the threshold is. When the tolerance level ends and when the is drawn and say better in here to, to really put these guys in a better position to to defend and win and close out games. I don't know when that is. I, th- I think two two is a pretty fair minimum in today's NFL standard. So 
I would not be surprised if he was fired at the end of the season, although it doesn't seem to look that way, but anything can happen between now and, you know, January. We'll just have to see, or December. I think, I think you, you probably have to let Robert Sala go and see if there's somebody that can do more with what we have. I would. I think if, uh, I think if we had the Kyle Shanahan of defensive coordinators on that side, we would have won a lot of these games. I mean, look what, again, I know it's two different uh, sides of the ball. I know we live in an era where the rules heavily, heavily uh, handcuffed the defense. I get all that. But if you look week in and week out with what Shanahan is working with and his ability to scheme and create and make plays that put players in a position to maximize their potential and hide their weaknesses. Like I said, we have our third string quarterback out there. Our our main running back is hurt. So many players in and out and week in and week out, Kyle Shanahan delivers at such a high level, at a level that most co- most coaches could not would not be able to do. And I don't think he gets nearly enough credit. I think too often more often than not, uh, other other analysts and journalists are looking at the L's and not really appreciating exactly what Kyle Shanahan is doing and how little he has to work with. And if we had a level of talent on the defensive side that was at the same level as Kyle, I think we would have won a lot of these games already. Yeah, that's for sure. Look at Chicago. Chicago got like one player, you know, with a competent defensive coordinator, and now they're six and three atop of their division. And it's because, and that, that offense is inept. It is, I believe it's a very inept offense, but look at the difference, you know, a, a surefire pass rusher makes on a team like that one player. Well, and who do they have, right? They have my defensive, my favorite defensive coordinator in the league, Mr. Big Fangio, RIP. We miss you. Yeah. More than ever today. All right. So now that that on a very sad edition of the gold cast. <laughs> we don't know we're we're normally a very optimistic podcast, but this the today this week was a rough one. We have the bye coming up. Yeah, well, at least we have the bye. Yeah, we have the bye. We're we're defeated in the bye, thank God. Thank God. We're, at least at least we don't lose this this coming week. We don't. So, we have the bye coming up. Uh we will also because it's Thanksgiving weekend, we will also be taking a break. We will be back after the bye. We'll be back to recap week 12 of the 49ers when they come back and they'll be playing the Buccaneers, which is, you know, they're, they're a lot friskier than other teams. This was my fourth-ish garbage bowl, and then the end of the garbage bowl run comes to a, an end, the garbage bowls. But we will be back after that. In the meantime, everyone enjoy the bye. Enjoy watching the Warriors. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And uh, we will see you on the other side. Raymond, before we go, why don't you let them know where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at RaySolise and on Instagram at RaySolise1. I think the Tampa Bay game, this is another one where Niners could come out and pull out a win. You've got a team here that is among the worst in the league in rushing. They're a one-trick pony. So they're the best passing team in the NFL, but they're 29th in rushing offense. So if you could if and they're going up against you know the 13th best rushing defense in the NFL so and we continue we do a lot we often hold guys to under 100 yards maybe collectively a team will get 100 yards 
against us, but their main back won't. And if the main back doesn't, then that makes it really hard for the other team to establish play action and establish balance on offense. You know, we saw that we saw that against the Giants, but there was no there was no pass there was no uh pass rush so Manning was still able to do what he needs to do he's obviously back where if you force him to be one uh, one trick pony he, he can still beat you and he's he's got one of the best passer ratings in the fourth quarter because of that but on the Tampa Bay side before I, I before we go you know I think we got a shot here just like we did against the last three teams the only one that seemed to succumb to us was the the Raiders and defensively this is one of the worst teams in the NFL they're uh, they're marginally worse than us against the run but in terms of points allowed, they're dead last in the NFL. In terms of yards allowed, they're 28th. In terms of passing yards allowed, they're 29th. And this is going up against a defense that is, again, ranked 27th, 10th, 14th, and 13th. So with the exception of points allowed, we're a middle-of-the-road or better defense, statistically speaking. So if we can get ahead of them in the fourth quarter and force them to try to play comeback by at least two possessions, then we can win games. Simple as that. So that needs to be the goal with the Niners going into this game in Tampa if they want a chance to win. Because if they leave it in single possession, it's, you know, we all know what the odds are. 100%. 100%. So let them know, Ray. Where can they find you? On Twitter at Ray Solis and on Instagram at Ray Solis one Boom. I think you already said that. I just realized that. I think you did say that already. <laughs> yeah. That Well, you heard it again. <laughs> For those who are not paying attention. (laughs) You can find me on Instagram at Rudy Solis 3 and on Twitter at Rudy Solis 3 RD. Join, get at me. Uh, Let's uh, commiserate and talk some Niners on the the Sundays, the few we have left in this uh, crazy top-turvy season, the 2018 season. So concludes... Another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time. Same Gold Cast channel. This is, is the Gold Cast. 